0: You're tuned in to the Manjeet Minhas podcast. The world of business is a challenging one. From the youngest entrepreneurs to the biggest and most respected names across Canada, you need to have a strong will, determination, and skills to navigate to the top. I'll be talking to everyone from budding entrepreneurs to the established leaders in the world of business. You'll hear their stories of where they were, where they are, and where they're going. I'm Manjeet Minhas, and this is my podcast. Hello, and welcome to today's podcast interview. My guest today is Dr. Rola Dagger, the Global Channel Chief for Dell Technologies. She has held held several strong leadership positions through her career, including Director for Bell Canada, President of Cisco Systems Canada, and so much more. Though she fills a leadership role in her position, it's far more important to recognize that this is shown through her actions in her day-to-day life. It hadn't always seemed that way throughout her life and her amazing journey that has been full with struggles and challenges, but many successes also. She's here to talk to us today about what she had to overcome to be the compassionate, strong-willed person she is today. Welcome to the podcast, Rola.
1: Thank you for having me, Manjeet, and I'm excited. I listened to your previous ones. They're awesome, and I love your natural approach to these things, which is so needed.
0: Well, thank you so much for taking time out of your life to kind of peel back the onion, to tell us more about yourself, your journey, and where you are today. So maybe we'll start there. You're born and raised in Lebanon, come from a family of six siblings, all girls, which is fantastic. I too have two girls and I know you yeah. have one. <laughs> and so maybe we can start there as, you know, you lived through a war zone that definitely was a daily struggle and I can't even imagine. So maybe you can take us back as to your upbringing.
1: Yeah, I'd love to. I think as I'm fifty-one and as I look back at the best part of my life is definitely those humble days at the beginning of living in a little tiny village. So the the way I introduced myself is like you could take a girl out of Lebanon, but you could never take Lebanon out of this girl, and that's me. And as A very proud Lebanese and a grateful Canadian for what Canada has offered an immigrant like me, the opportunity for hope, the opportunity for success. And I am so grateful for that. As you said, I I mean, was born in literally a small village that it's all the Dagger family. There's probably 100 plus homes. And all of us lived in a very humble upbringing where there was no TVs, no water running, no nothing. And it was just us and my cousins all around. And it's, you're right, six girls. So my parents tried really hard, didn't work. Number six, my grandfather and my grandmother comes and tells my dad, I read the coffee cup, Michael, and after number six, you'll have a boy, I promise you. He goes, Mom, I love you, but get the hell out of my house. So that's pretty much how it was. And my immigrant parents have fought so hard in battle to get us to where we are today. I personally have more memories in my life of living in a bomb shelter in the war than I have anything else in Lebanon, other than the first few years of my life were in that little tiny village before the village was attacked. And I am a self-made woman that worked extremely hard to earn it, and I learned it, and I'm now in the position of returning it. So my five sisters, and my mom and dad, and my kids are my life, and I became a bride at 16 years old. I became a mom at 17 years old. It was the old traditional fashion way of the first guy in the door. That was my luck back in the days. It lasted 20 years and never again. I have two amazing kids. Michael is 28 and Stephanie, she's 33. I escaped Lebanon with Stephanie. She was born pretty much my daughter in a bomb shelter back home in Lebanon. Escaped Mm -hmm. during the war in a trunk of a car. So here I am sneaking my daughter out of uh, Lebanon with passport in my hand. And she's on the other hand, landed in Cyprus where many Lebanese people back in the 80s escaped Lebanon, landed in Cyprus and were homeless for weeks. So I literally uh, slept at the doors in the steps of the embassy, Canadian embassy, because at the time my parents had immigrated to Canada and left me behind with My ex at the time and my daughter, so, but I was lucky enough to get my visa after a few weeks, landed in Canada and worked every day to become who I am today. I am a cancer survivor, a long COVID survivor, and a lymphedema survivor. And I tell you, every time I get hit with something from a health wise perspective, I appreciate what life has to offer because a healthy person chases 1000 things, Menji, but an unhealthy person chases one thing and it's health. Mm, So you find me today extremely grateful for my background and for who I am. And the reason why I tell my story, because I look at all women and men that are going through war and abuse and racism. And if I can do it, they can.
0: Right. Very, very true. You talked about a lot of hardships there and, you know, not an ideal upbringing. And you went through a lot at a very young age. I think most Canadians, including myself, can't even imagine all of those things, never mind living in a war-torn country, but fleeing, being married so young, having a child when you essentially are a child yourself and then coming to a whole new country and trying to figure it out. And so, what do you think that having so many life challenges at such a young age has brought to you as far as your talents, your work ethic, because it's pretty amazing what you've been able to accomplish by the age of 51. How do you think that also made you so not only strong, but compassionate on the other side too? Because many people would be jaded and have a very different sense of the people around them, their reality, and not be as compassionate as you were when they've gone through so much at such a young age.
1: So, I love this question because I could tell you though, if I describe it, it would be in one word is determination. And Mm. I am addicted to hope and faith. Mm. When you have that hope and faith, no matter how hard you work in life and no matter what you've gone through, there's a lot of other people out there that are in worse situation than you are. I'll tell you that I knew right away that I needed to turn my wounds into wisdom Mm -hmm. I needed to turn my weaknesses into strength and every struggle that I have it never defined me it shaped me for who I am today because I knew that I am a fighter it gets to a point in your life that you value so many of the people person that you are you value the mom that you are manji to your two beautiful daughters you value the leader that you are you value the wife, the friend, the sister. So I valued all of those in my life. But what I value the most today more than ever is the fighter in the survivor that I needed to be for my kids, for my family, for my sisters, for my mom and dad in the role model for other people that and other women that are struggling through this. So for me, it was like, it's just my addiction to faith and hope mm-hmm. that. I can. And you look at what's happening in the world and every struggle needs to be turned into a strength. And there was one thing that I, my, my father is my role model. My father is my mentor. He's my hero. And he's always taught me that life owes you nothing. Life is an opportunity for you to make the best out of it. So I took every... Opportunity in life and every struggle to make the best out of it. And here I am today. And I'm proud of it. But I will tell you though, every day I wake up, I learn how to be a better version of me. It's like the Rolla 1.0, 2.0, 3.0. So it's not like, okay, I arrived. I haven't Mm -hmm. because I'm still learning.
0: I love that your dad says that because my dad has always says that to me too. In Punjabi translated, it means, you know, pretty much the same thing because when we always used to say, life is not fair, or that's not fair, or, this isn't right. And he used to always say that to us growing up because he too came from India, not we trying. He came to get married to my mom and had an education that wasn't recognized here, but had to start with, you know, over. And so when I was younger, I didn't necessarily believe that because being born and raised here, I felt like I, sh- I am owed, I am owed something because I'm a good person and I'm trying my best. And very quickly, once you realize that, yeah, life owes you nothing. Um, your perspective on definitely a lot of things changes, and I think that one of those great things is the fact that you do have to become a better version of yourself and continuously make sure that you're improving your own skill sets. So, when you arrived in Canada, you had you know a child. You had come from, I'm assuming, a basic education. When you arrived here, what did you believe that you were going to do? And how were you going to put food on the table and shelter over your head?
1: I come with no formal education. I hardly finished high school just because I was given away at such a young age of marriage. Gotcha. But I came here. I didn't have a plan.
0: Mm.
1: My plan is, thank God I am safe thank God I'm not in a bomb shelter. And thank God mm. my daughter is in a better environment. I came here to reunite with my mom and dad and my sisters. And I've always lived under the life as now model mm. where I never planned for the future because I, the future was unknown. I didn't know mm. if someone would to tell me, oh, you're gonna be the CEO of Cisco or the global channel chief at Dell. And I'm like, um, okay, uh, thank you, but uh, that sounds great. <laughs> and I never actually, the past is the past. I come to focus on the moment and each moment that I mm. have. But what I knew is I was determined to do something to make an impact. Mm. Everything I did had a purpose. So I was so determined to meet people that I would be inspired by. I was determined to hang out with smarter people than me, and I was determined to go out there and to learn. To me, it's learning to grow, going in with the open mindset of learn it all versus know it all because I am the mm-hmm. first to claim that I don't know it all. Even now with my huge global team, thousands of people, I, I don't know it. And it's, the, it's the people around you that helped you and the mentors mm-hmm. that you meet, the people that take chances on you. So that's how I did it. And I kept challenging myself. Every time I always say I have that three-year itch, right? Mm-hmm. I started in telemarketing. The, back when I started in Canada, I started in retail. I was selling clothes and then to beautiful women and men and people that came into the store and I dressed them up and I'm like, "Wow, they look so nice. I want to be like them when I grow up. (laughs) And then I decided to leave retail and I went and I got a job in an office job in a basement of a company selling long distance minutes. Gotcha. And I'm like, okay. And then I started at Bell and After 15 years, I had cancer, I got diagnosed with cancer, I got a divorce at the time. And I was struggling to find out how I'm going to support my kids as a single mom, because I've always been the mom and the dad in my entire life, raising them as a single parent. And I thought, okay, I need to push Mm. myself out of my comfort zone, because comfort and growth don't coexist. So every time I was too comfortable, it was like time, just learn, learn, learn and learn and grow. And Mm -hmm. I got to a point in my life where I found the right people that helped me see potential in me that took chances on me and got me to where I needed to be. But at the same time, it's a lot, you know, it's changing that fixed mindset because if you have a fixed mindset of you think you can walk in and know everything about what you know, it's hard to grow as an individual. So to me, that's how I plowed through my career and still going through it. And so when you're
0: diagnosed with cancer and you're going through divorce and on the other side, you're being promoted and things are happening professionally, how did you decide or did you know to compartmentalize both things? Because Personally, there's a lot going on that is heavy. And then professionally, you're still climbing the ladder and great things are happening. And how did you not let one overshadow the other?
1: You know, I call them the holy shit moment. <laughs> <laughs> I had many of those holy shit moments. It's like, oh my God, I just got <laughs> diagnosed with cancer. I have two kids in university. I just transitioned to a new, new job. Okay, I'm going to die. I need to plan. I need to do this. I need to do all of that. I just like my faith that Mm -hmm. every time I get into any health crisis is to grab on really tight and continue to believe, Mm -hmm. continue to believe in my ability that I can and I will do it. Continue to believe that there's people around me that's going to help me through it. My family, my mentors, my Best friends that are people around you. You're in working for great organizations that are going to support you during this journey, right? I mean, the biggest example I will give you though, I resigned from Cisco in 2020, the start of COVID, right? September 2020. I started in, I started back at Dell because I was at Dell first. And then I left, went to Cisco and then came back to Dell and When I started at Dell three weeks later, I was in the ICU with COVID. Oh, wow. Imagine you just literally resigned from a president role and leading a country. And then you're like, that's a holy shit moment. So as I woke up from the ICU, I kept thinking, oh, my God, am I going to lose my job? What are people going to think? I couldn't even like I was MIA like people were on LinkedIn and Twitter is like, are you okay? What's wrong? Mm -hmm. And you find out very quickly that your health is your wealth. Mm -hmm. I could tell you like Michael Dell, my boss, Billy, and these people are just unbelievable that they were checking on me every day. And I remember Michael Dell calling me and says, you have one job is to get better. That's Mm -hmm need to worry about. And my boss calling me every day, we've got you, whatever you need, we're there for you. They're talking to my daughter every day and making sure that I'm going to make it alive out of this ICU. So you go through a lot of self-doubt right? and you go through so much struggles that am I going to bounce back? Mm -hmm. But the number one priority that you continue to focus on is, and I have to learn the hard way, and I'm pretty sure, Manjeet, you're a type A too, and you just go and you plow because we're right. so focused on our career and in yeah. brand. But when you're lying in an ICU, your mm. career and your brand become secondary to fighting for the breath that right. you need to take. So that to me was a wake up call because I neglected my health for so many years. And I realized so quickly that, If I don't have my oxygen mask on, Mm -hmm. no one around me is going to benefit.
0: Very true. Very true. I love that motto that life is now because the future is unknown. And I think so many of us get really wrapped up in planning for the future. We forget about living in the now because around us, we're taught that and told that all the time. Goal planning and future and, you know, setting yourself up for a variety of different things. But I love that because like you say, You don't know what is coming your way in a lot of different ways and especially in your health. And that takes over for sure. And so definitely throughout your career, you have been doubted by many people and you definitely, I think most people uh, wouldn't have expected you to come as far as you have come, but you've done it and proved people wrong without a hint of an ego. And you definitely fight for the power of diversity and equality. Not, in, not only in business, but definitely in life. And I've read and heard many times you say that you have a motto or a mantra and a true believer in the saying, earn it, learn it, return it. Yeah. And so talk to me a little bit, add some color to that saying as to how you came up with it.
1: Yeah, so I tell you, my daughter is in marketing. She's so creative and she's the one that she said, mom, I, I listen to you all the time. And this just the way you just verbalize and the way you tell your story. So she's the one that helped me come up with it, by the way, the learn it, earn it, return it. And she said, mom, this is you. This is your life. You're living through it. So let me start by saying, learn it, earn it, return it for me was basically my life journey. The first 20 years of your life, you go to school and you learn and you go to university. And for me, I didn't have that opportunity to go to university and finish my schooling, but I learned it the hard way. I was street smart versus book smart, right? Mm-hmm. And so you take that first 20 years, then the second 20 of learning, and then it's time to apply it. You go into the second phase of your life when you go get a job and you earn it, right? Mm-hmm. Earn everything you have, Manjeet. today you've earned because you worked really hard for it. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, nothing is given to any of us because I was not born with a gold spoon or fork or any, you know, I come from a very humble life, right? So for me, it was earning it, working so hard improving proving as an immigrant Lebanese woman in technology I had to work 10 times harder than anybody to Mm -hmm. just earn everything and having people believe that I can, right? And then develop during those, when you earn it, you have to develop. And then once you get to a point where you learned it and you earned it and you get to return it, shame on us as women, as people, as leaders, if we get to the top and we don't actually help others and lift others up with us. I mean, I I I see how, how much you do when you help small entrepreneurs and you're on the show of, you know, encouraging people to come with great ideas and supporting them and helping them, mentoring other women, mentoring other young men, immigrants, be it India, Lebanon, Middle East. The world is going through so much and we need more leaders that are all about passion, purpose and impact because mm-hmm. our job is to empower people our job is to actually inspire people but then get out of the way to go and yes. and make an impact on the world so that is my model around how i learned it earned it and return it and you know you started by saying you know prove people wrong i did which was I was doubted so many times, so many times. Once Cisco gave me the job, they were like, uh, what is Cisco thinking? She's not even qualified. She doesn't even have a <laughs> university degree to get a CEO role. Right. And uh, Cisco Canada was the number one country worldwide year one when I took it over for results, margin, you know, revenue, all of that. Cisco Canada won more awards in that first year I've been there than in its it's history. So, and you continue to do that because when someone tells you you're only successful because of your good looks, (laughs) which I had a boss telling me, just so you know, you're only successful because because of your good looks. You know, my answer was, you know what, it actually, it's awesome to have the full package because I come with a very, very, very strong mind and. Actually, a smart brain that I worked really hard for.
0: Right.
1: Good looks and good brains, smart brains and good leaders can get you far. So when I would get to positions, oh, they only hired her because she's a woman. Oh, they only mm-hmm. hired her because of this and that. Mm-hmm. And that's okay because you know what? I learned very quickly what people say about me is none of my business.
0: Good point. Good point. I like that because it's very true. You can't tell people and change their minds often about what they're going to say. And therefore, why spend the energy to try to fight it, to try to correct them? That took me a long time also to understand. For a long time, it was my fire, but it took me a long time to to get to that point to say, okay, that's your own problem, not mine. Yeah, exactly.
1: And the one thing for me is it's Every day I wake up, I work on me. Mm. I work on how do I be a better version of me? How do I make a better impact on the world? How do I want to leave the world a better place? What inspiration do I have? My story, every woman's story is an inspiration to another. I mean, your story is an inspiration to me, how you have made it to the world and how you continue to fight. Because you know what? It's really sad because people see the glorified story and the successful story of yours or mine and other women in the industry, but they don't see the sacrifice in the scars, in the cuts, in the blood, in the sweat that actually goes along to get to where we are today. And that is the missing part when people are out there looking in. I always say Don't just judge by the title, read the book, read a chapter, educate yourself and work as hard as we as women or men or anybody work to get to where they are.
0: Oh, you're so right. You're so right. It takes so much more than always definitely is not something that people see. You know, I always say it takes a lot of blood, sweat and guts between your dreams and your success. And a lot of that is something that a lot of people don't see. And mostly, they don't want to see it also, because that takes, that takes some time to understand that you know, to get to where anybody has gotten, they do have to work very hard at it. But there has to be some alignment. There has to be mentors. There has to be some risk-taking. And you've definitely taken a lot of risks in your life. And I would say one of the big risks that I see from an outside looking in is that you got into the tech industry so early before it was something that I feel was hot, that people understood. So tell me why tech actually appealed to you.
1: I just landed on tech back on the days just because I wanted to get out of retail. I'm like, okay, I need an office job. And I'm like, just like I didn't know that it existed. I remember my sister's mother worked at this telemarketing company that they were selling long distance. And she said, Oh, do you want an office job? And it's just telemarketing, annoying people over dinner <laughs> back in the days. I don't know if you remember, Manjeet, but yep. <laughs> which from Sprint to Bell. And, you know, back in the days, that was me. And I started there. And when I got into Bell, I started learning about technology. And it was mm-hmm. like, I had a crush on George Clooney and it was a crush on technology that started back in the day. So I always call it my crush on technology, just like George Clooney pretty much. (laughs) But yeah, that's how I loved it because I started learning so quickly how technology is impacting human progress. Mm. I mean, that started back in the days when I used to sell the technology and I got into public sector education in healthcare. And when you put a technology solution and see how much it actually makes an impact. And now more than ever with the pandemic, my God, like technology is the equalizer. But for me, I look at technology should be an equalizer, not a division that because there is, you look at what's happening in the world, that technology should be used for the goods. Technology should be used to better and impact people's lives. And now we see that divide between the poor and the rich and between the areas that or companies that could provide great technology versus companies and people that don't have good technology to do their job to job. We're blessed. We're extremely blessed. But again, we need to use technology as an equalizer to actually create a better tomorrow. So that's how I got addicted to technology. And I look at technology and innovation specifically um, mm. on so how it's changing the world. But again, we have to be cautious as parents of how much technology you put in the hands of kids. As leaders, how much technologies you put in the hands. It's just that innovation has to be used in a very good way.
0: So, how then and now do you teach yourself about technology? And how do you keep up? Even back then, but never mind. Now, at the pace of technology that's changing so fast and the innovation, you know, you mentioned yourself taught, and so how do you find you educate yourself on that front?
1: So it's it's amazing. It's going so fast that I cannot even keep up. So I use technology. Good to know and... that we're not the only ones sitting. Oh, no, 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 no. Trust up. me, I work for a technology company, and sometimes you're in a meeting and you're like, oh my god, I can't keep up. What's going on again? So, I mean, between what's happening, okay, you started with, you know, AI, machine mm-hmm. learning, and then you go into now the world of cryptocurrency, you go into NFT, you go into the metaverse, and mm-hmm. people are talking about the metaverse now. And I'm like, are you kidding? Like, we're trying to get kids out in the world and the millennials are going in Gen Zers are going back to the office and we're going to put them in the metaverse. And, you know, kids that are, Playing roadblocks. They've been in, playing in the metaverse for how long? So how do I keep up with it? is I could tell you, I don't, I don't claim that I know at all, but I know enough to continue to read and follow my favorite tech leaders. So I read the news every day. I follow certain people, like you follow innovators out there, and just kind of read enough to know about the subject, but you don't mm. have a subject matter expert at everything. Right, But that's how I learn. I learn by asking questions when someone says, you know, they're talking about NFT. So tell me a little bit more. Give me an example. And mm. how would I apply it in every day? Talking about the metaverse now and how companies are starting the conversation of what they want to do with the metaverse, right? So I continue to ask questions. I continue to read a bit at a time. I can't read a book about technology. I could tell you that I, <laughs> I've never finished a book, God, maybe. <laughs> but I, I read on, you know, you go and read a blog, you listen to a podcast right. and you just be educated enough to start a conversation where someone knows better right. and more than you. And then you can just suck that knowledge out of them.
0: And I love that you're saying that even in your role, you don't know it all and that you're still asking lots of questions. And I think that gives comfort to everybody that no matter who and what role you, you are in is that you are self-aware that you don't know it all. And there are people smarter around you. And that I think that so many of us are taught, especially women that you don't ask the dumb questions quote, because there are no dumb questions because we're all learning so much about everything on a daily basis. And there are people that are some, subject matter experts and that's their job and it's your job as chief to know a little bit about everything to be able to make educated decisions and I think that that is encouraging for sure for the layman's and the rest of us in the world because it is changing so fast yeah and so in the world that you have always been in I guess in technology and still definitely today it's a very male-dominated world how do you find that you navigate that does it encourage you does it discourage you? How have you been able to keep a level head to overcome some of those things and and stereotypes around you about being in such a male-dominated industry?
1: Great question. It was extremely difficult. Back in the days, I remember my first leadership role, I was given and I had over 250 engineers and it was me. And if you ask me questions about bits and bytes, I didn't know. I started at Dell back in the days I walked into the room when I got promoted and every single engineer in the room was a man and there was me. So I think they looked at me like, okay, you're in the wrong room Mm. and you have to prove yourself walking into a room full of men that you have value to add and you have to gain their trust. Mm-hmm. You have to, you don't need to know the bits and bytes and become an engineer, but what you need to know is your leadership skills of knowing how to be a servant leader,
0: mm-hmm.
1: how to walk in and know that you're there to help them and empower them and enable them to be the best. But you're also there to learn from them of what's working and what's working in technology, in technology. And you gained that. I mean, it took me a couple of months to gain that. And I remember when I moved to a different job, I was extremely upset to leave the group because I learned a lot. Leading mm-hmm. engineers where you're not a technical leader, you learn so much and you kind of enhance your DNA of the technology you thought you knew to what you need to know. So today in the world, it's much better to be a woman in the technology industry because there's so much that women are doing around technology and technology leaders, but it's still difficult. I think we've done a good job, but we still have a long way to go, but it's difficult. You walk in and there's 50 men and there's probably five women. You'll never find a room 50-50. True. You'll never find a room that has more women than men. And, and I tell you that I, I think women are, this is when they doubt, we doubt ourselves as women. It's like, oh, can I do the job? Or mm-hmm. can I be the channel chief, you know, at Dell? There is diversity at Dell, which is great. And I've seen it at Cisco too. And you see it with companies because they're changing,
0: mm-hmm.
1: but we still have a long way to go. So I'm comfortable being a woman amongst men in my industry because I've learned how to handle myself being the only woman in the room or the only few women in the room. But I just feel that there's a lot of women that shy back from it and have a seat. Even if they're actually part of the leadership team, they just sit at the back versus at the front. So my message to every woman is just move your chair all the way to the front of the room, no matter who's in the room, because your position there matters. And you were hired for a reason, because there is a lot of smart people that work on hiring someone to be in such a senior leadership role. And you were brought for a reason. So your job is to deliver.
0: And so did you put your hand up or were you encouraged by those around you that saw something in you that you could be the leader?
1: So early in my leadership roles, I put my hand up, but I also was encouraged by a mentor to go for it. Mm -hmm. I did not think that I was qualified for it. I got, you know, coached, I got mentored. And those are the people in your life that when you meet, you hang on to them for Mm -hmm. a long time. Because they, be, they end up becoming your life coaches, not just your job coach or your mentor. Mm. So it was a bit of both. But then I, I became extremely ambitious of just like, okay, I did it on this role. I can do it here. I want to do it there. And I want to do it there. So I just right. became so ambitious. And I continue to be ambitious because to me, it's about what's next. Right. What more can I do? That is the question I continue to ask myself, even with my boss today. What more can I do? How much of a bigger impact can I make? Mm -hmm. Because I do and I can and will be able to do it.
0: And I love that you're actually using that word ambition and that you are an ambitious person because so many people, immigrants, women, people of a certain age, are all told that maybe you shouldn't be so ambitious, like you should be happy where you are. And sometimes it's used as a very negative term. And I've always believed that it is something positive because it means that you're pushing yourself and that you think that you can do more. But it's not always deemed that way around us. So I love that you're actually using that and still, even though that you're at the top, feel that you still are ambitious and there's other things that you want to do.
1: Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'm telling you, life is starts every day for me when I wake up. It's like, okay, what else can I do? Uh, What's next for Rola? But you have to learn, though. You know that uh, I'll tell you what you see is what you get with me. People uh, called me aggressive. People are called me bossy, and I'm like, when I got to being a boss, I'm like, okay, if you're calling me a bossy, I am the boss, so I can be bossy. (laughs) If I'm aggressive, because that's the way that I need it to be to get to where I am today. You never hear, um, you know, a man calling another man, you're aggressive. Normally it's like, okay, why is the woman just the only one that has to be aggressive? Right? And you got to push the limit. You have to push the limit. The only person that can advocate for you is you. You got to go out there. You got to believe in yourself. You got to say, I am enough. And because I am a woman, I can do it and I am enough. Don't do it for them. Do it for you. Do it for you. Step up. Step forward. Step up, show up and speak up. Because to me, I only got to where I am because I stepped up. I showed up and I spoke Mm -hmm. up every time. I wasn't sitting in the corner. Yeah, a lot of people, some people could not probably or did not like what I had to say. but. I was hired to do a job and Mm. not to fit in is to stand out. Like a lot of us as women, we think, okay, I need to fit in. Well, I didn't fit in. I didn't fit in the mold of many companies that i worked for because I wasn't the typical hire. I was authentic. I stood out and people took chances on me. And guess what? That is why when they say, why her? It's because I had to work extremely hard to make sure I believe in people knowing that I have value to bring to the organization and make a difference. That passion in me that fired me up every time, I turned it and I balanced it into result oriented, but never forgot where I came from, never forgot my roots and never forgot my beliefs and how I can and will do it.
0: Mm. That's amazing. Despite all the struggles that you've had, you still really believe in the word gratitude and it reflects the view of your life and giving back. And in a constant, you're in a constant state of wanting to give back. And it's really easy to see how grateful you are for the life that you've had, even though, yes, you've definitely had some challenges and worked very hard for them. So why is that so important to you to make sure that you are living a life of gratitude and that you are giving back?
1: When someone asks me how do you describe success, Hmm. I describe success just exactly by what you just said. Success to me is the legacy that you leave behind of how many lives you've impacted, how many people you've inspired. Success to me is not measured by the amount of money you have in the bank or the house or the cars. Absolutely not. Because Everyone wants to ride the limo in the private jet with you, Manjeet. But when things are going really well, but very few people Mm -hmm. in your life would want to walk or take the bus with you when that private jet breaks down. And you realize that those people that you help along the way without any expectation, those are the people that they'll be by your side. So my father has always taught me and taught all my sisters every penny you give, God gives it to you 10 times bold. Every good deed that you make, you get rewarded by. And for me, I started the life of service when I knew that leadership is not a position or a title that you have. It's an action that you take to make a difference in the world. And I started on the journey of giving back to immigrants like me that started back in the days or came to this country because I walked the walk. I started giving back and sat on boards like mental health, kids' Help phone, the immigration, nice Black North, co-founder of that. And I look today, of when McMaster called me for my honorary degree, it wasn't because of my title. It was because of the impact I made in the world. In Canada, it's because when the Beirut explosion happened and I was sitting in my office here in Toronto, and I heard that so many people are dying and how many people it impacted. And I put together the coalition and I brought the best Lebanese leaders on board and raised $55 million to help people. That is leadership.
0: That is
1: rewarding. So to me, when I look at what I do every day and give back, that is to me what keeps me waking up every day and knowing that I am blessed for what I have and the impact and what I've given back. My job is not done. Every day that I have energy to give more and do more, I am and I will be doing it.
0: So beautifully said. So beautifully said. I really appreciate actually how open you've been about not only your journey, but your feelings and all that you have accomplished. Cause you've definitely accomplished so much, won some amazing awards, including um, of course, getting an honorary doctorate from McMaster. So I can call you Dr. Rola Dagger, which is quite amazing because it's definitely very, very deserving. You've inspired and affected so many lives in so many positive ways. And I know will continue to. Thank you so much, Rola, for talking with me today. I really do appreciate it. I've learned so much. I've taken so many, so many notes, but I think that the last thing I want to leave our viewers with today is uh, the motto that you have, because I truly, truly believe that it is life-changing. Learn it, earn it, return it. Thank you for listening to today's episode. If you like what we're doing on the show, be sure to follow us, leave us a like, rating and review wherever you listen to your podcasts. Be sure to tune in next week for an all new episode with another great guest for more insightful conversation. We'll see you again next time. Cheers.